We have two readings uh, today. Uh, The first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, which you can find on page 697 of the Red Bibles. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious." This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from Romans chapter 15, verses 4 to 13, and you'll find it on page 1141 of the Bibles. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how about we stand for the gospel? We're going to read the gospel from uh, 
Matthew. So please stand. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the path for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locust with honey. And the people came out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think of yourselves, uh, sorry, and do not think you can save yourselves. We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up the children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the wildfire. I baptize you with repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, his widowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you can take your seat. Thank you. Well, as Peter's prepared you, uh, I mean, it's pretty simple. We're dealing with Old Testament prophecy. We're talking about gospel themes of uh, waiting for the, the coming Messiah, and we're looking at the second coming. So, uh, surely quite an easy task. I wonder, uh, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to have a show of hands, but I wonder how clean your house is. If you had to rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10... If we turn this one off and I'll use the lapel. I wonder if you had to rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how clean do you think your house currently is? No show of hands, don't worry. I don't know about your house, but I have this thing where uh, if Lisa goes away, I clean the house and I think, yep, Lisa's coming home, we've cleaned the house. And then she gets home and she's like, why didn't you clean the house? Like, there's a, there's a, if there's a scale of 1 to 10, what I think is, uh, is an 8 or a 9 is clearly what Lisa thinks is a little bit lower than that. But we've got Lisa's mother coming to stay with us at Christmas, and whatever we think is a 10, it'll be a little bit, it's actually, in her mind, it's a little bit lower than that. But I wonder, even if you think you've got a 10 out of 10 style home, if King Charles was coming... To Australia and he wanted to stay at your place, do you think your 10 out of 10 is the standard that you would have if you knew that King Charles and his entourage were coming to your house or would you go to 11? The idea is that if we knew that the king was coming, we'd prepare a little bit more, wouldn't we? And the theme that we have in the, the, the three readings today is if that you know the king is coming, why aren't people preparing? The people of the time around 
uh, Jesus should have known that the Messiah was coming, that the King was coming, that the Christ was coming. These are all kind of interchangeable words in the different languages, Messiah, Christ, King. There's a sense of someone important is coming and they're looking for this person to come. At 6pm a few weeks ago, we watched a, a little video from a group that made The Chosen and, and, it, and it begins with the opening line, for 400 years the prophets were silent. They knew the Messiah was coming and for 400 years the prophets were silent and they're wondering, they're going out to see John the Baptist saying, is this a new prophet that's going to tell us when the Messiah is coming? And we see that Jesus is wandering around this group wondering when the Messiah is coming. The people are looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a king, but they're not quite ready. And it makes you wonder why were they not ready? I mean, we could be really nice to the ancient Israelites and and say, well, maybe they just had grown tired and weary. The oppression of the Roman uh, Empire, maybe they had just gone into survival mode. But I think also the Roman oppression had led them to think that maybe the Messiah was coming to bring a military victory. And so when Jesus didn't come with that military overtone, they didn't think that was the promised Messiah. But if we look at the reading of Isaiah, they should have been aware of what was coming for the Messiah. In verses 3 to 5, we see that the coming Messiah will actually come to judge hearts, not behaviour. Kind of makes you wonder why the Pharisees and Sadducees that, uh, that John the Baptist critiqued had become so fixated on behaviour and not heart modification. Isaiah says that from a stump or a shoot, a branch will come that will bear fruit. And this fruit will be the promised Messiah that they were looking for that they were longing for, that they were hoping for. And in many ways, it says, we will, that it, it says what the task of the Messiah will be, that he'll come to judge about righteousness, but he'll judge the needy and bring justice. He'll bring justice to the poor and the oppressed. And you think about the Pharisees and Sadducees and the weight of behaviour modification that they'd lumped onto the people of ancient Israel. It's clearly not the type of atmosphere that was going to lead to uh, fruit that we hear in Isaiah. But there's a, a gardening term here, and, and it's interesting, when we cleared out at one of the working bees, uh, there was a, a, a tree in that garden just out there. And you could tell that it was a, 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 a great sort of uh, uh, one of those trees that where the, the branches come down and it produces great uh, flowers and leaves. But a, 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 a shoot had come out a little bit lower than the top and it was that shoot that actually started to suck all the energy from the top and the top actually started to decay and then in the winter in the fallow period and then in the spring it didn't shoot again and I think it was deemed that the, the tree was no longer worth saving and it was pulled out. And that's an image that somebody explained to me when we were in uh, Nazareth, when I was going through the Holy Land. Uh, there's a little part 
of, uh, is, uh, of, of uh, Nazareth, where they've tried to recreate a village a bit like it would have looked at the time of Jesus, because Nazareth now is a, a thriving city. And, and there was one part in this old uh, vineyard, and they were saying this, this image of that the, the sort of the, the roots come up and if you see that the, the top is starting to decay, then it's these roots that come up from the bottom that are going to give you a crop that's going to save you from this decaying branch at the top. And so Isaiah is saying that when we see decay at the top, when we see the hierarchy not going in the way of God, and he's pointing towards the kings that time after time have walked away from God, what's going to come up is not something from the top, but a shoot from the bottom. Now, if you know about gardening, we sometimes actually call those suckers because they suck the life out of the tree. But in this image here, Jesus is coming as the branch that's going to save Israel. It's a new shoot, something new, a new beginning, not the rotten decay at the top. And so, should the people be looking for a Messiah who comes born at the top in the royal palace, or should they be looking for a promised Messiah that comes born in a humble beginning? And Jesus comes born in a humble beginning, the Saviour that's going to come and save the people. It's this idea of something new, a new shoot that's going to save the future. And sometimes I wonder whether that's what needs to happen in the church as well. If you think about the history of the church, some of the great movements have not come out of the Vatican City or come out of the Archbishop of Canterbury or come out of any of the big houses of authority in the church. They've come out of grassroots campaign. They've come out of these small offshoots. When I went to Holy Trinity Brompton, you see that this great grand building, and you think, wow, that's the great Holy Trinity Brompton, until you realise that's the Catholic oratory, and Holy Trinity Brompton is this small church down the laneway next to it. And out of that comes the great Alpha Course that has brought thousands and thousands of people to faith in Jesus. We can think of so many parts of the church, so many of the revivals that didn't start in the major basilicas of the world, but started in tents, started in Welsh villages, started in a whole range of areas that were off the beaten track, and that's where revival comes from. And I wonder whether, as we're looking for what Jesus is doing in the world, whether we don't look at the top, but we look for the new shoots that are coming just as Isaiah was promising to come, that the Saviour would come from those shoots. And so we get to Matthew's reading, and in Matthew's reading, we get the idea of Jesus is the coming King. But there's some interesting parallels between Jesus and this story that's been announced here. It's a little bit focused on John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is a a prophet who is uh, coming to announce the, the, the coming Messiah. But there's a big parallel between this story and some of the Old Testament narrative. Think about Isaiah, who was a, a prophet calling people to 
uh, returned to God and dressed in a, a, a kind of an unusual way. And then in this story, we have John the Baptist, who is dressed in camel, eating uh, locusts and, and foraging for wild honey. The idea of where John the Baptist is, is also quite interesting. The people are coming out from Jerusalem to see John the Baptist and get baptised at the River Jordan. And that has to be because they wouldn't have gone through Samaria, so it has to be just between where the river is in Samaria and the Dead Sea and what happens in that zone in the Old Testament. Moses stands on Mount Nebo and calls the people to enter the Promised Land in that very zone. So the people are coming out for a new baptism of repentance in the very place that the, the Israelites entered the Promised Land. It's a sign, it's a foretaste of that when the Messiah comes, they too will enter into a new season of being Israel and not just Israel but a blessing to all the nations. But also think about Jesus in this story. What happens to the Israelites because of a, a major problem in Israel, they go and seek refuge in Egypt because of a, 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 a drought and then they're made to be slaves there and it's God who brings them out of Egypt and they go into the promised land. And what happens to Jesus at his birth? He is uh, persecuted and he flees to Egypt. And so this Jew coming out of Egypt into Israel to call Israel back to the nation that God has is an underlying theme of this story of John the Baptist. And this idea of people going to the Jordan in a very similar location to where the Israelites would have entered into the Promised Land is another sub-theme to this reading today. And all of these subtexts, these connections, even with the connection with John the Baptist and Isaiah, are pointing to an idea that the promised Messiah is going to come and bring life, peace, joy and hope to the people of Israel. But the, the foretale of the, of the Old Testament, the foretelling in the Old Testament was that through the Messiah, all nations would be blessed. And we'll get to that in the theme in the Romans reading. But I want to sort of pause there and say that just culturally, understand that the Jewish people at this time around Jesus were actually being taught that the Messiah wouldn't come while there was sin still in the world. They were being told that they had to fix themselves up, get themselves ready for the Messiah. When they were ready as a nation, the Messiah would come. So you kind of think like, I've, I've stood at the area where John the Baptist supposed that, well, you don't really know whether John the Baptist baptised here or 20 metres down the, the, the river. We don't really know. The, 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 there's a spot where they sort of commemorate it and it's in a sort of a space that's roughly right in Israel. But as you stand there, it's in the middle of what I would call desert. It's a long way from any town and it's not the place that you just go to for a fun time. You wouldn't go there unless there was something important happening there. And what's happening is they're getting a baptism of repentance. If they're being told that you have to fix yourself up in order for the promised Messiah to come, if we as a nation want to be uh, overthrowing the Roman oppressors, 
and therefore we have to be sinless in order for the Messiah to come and overthrow our Roman oppressors. If we want to see that Messiah in our day, then let's get out to the river where John is baptising a baptism of repentance in order that we can be showing the promised Messiah that we're repentant. So they're going out into the middle of nowhere to show that they're ready for the promised Messiah to come. But there's still sin all around and there's still ancient Israelites who are not following the ways of God. And the response of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that John critiques, the response of them is more behaviour modification. If we just create more rules that help people understand the ways of behaving so that they don't sin, and if we apply those rules with more force, then people won't be sinful and therefore the promised Messiah will come. Into that environment, Jesus comes with a message of grace. You don't have to fix yourself up. That's what Jesus does on the cross and the grace that he offers you that makes a way for you to be in right relationship. You can be behaving abhorrently, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and turn, like repentance means to turn away from your own ways to face God, to face the ways of God. That's what repentance means. It's not about stopping your behaviour in order to earn God's relationship. It's just about turning your heart. And Isaiah says that the Messiah will come to judge hearts, not behaviour. I think that's a great message for us. As we prepare for Christmas, we remind people who don't know Jesus yet that Jesus is longing to be in relationship with them. Jesus is longing to be in relationship with them, even if they don't fix themselves up, even if they don't feel that they're ready for God to love them. How many people do we know when you invite them to church, they say, oh, I could never go to church, I just, just, don't, I just don't behave well enough to, to, to be accepted there. That's the opposite of what Jesus comes. Jesus comes at a time where Israel is not behaving correctly in order to remind people that it's His grace, not their correct behaviour, that is their salvation. And I think that's a great message to us, that Jesus comes as a sign that God is waiting and ready to receive people ready to receive people back into right relationship. Jesus is longing for them to just return home, return to Him and come and He'll embrace. That's why the, 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 the prodigal father story is so relevant, because it's the father that makes the first effort to go out. It's God who makes the first sign and the first effort to be in right relationship with ancient Israel and then makes the same for us. Now, I don't know about you, but some people really hate camping. We don't like going camping. And, and one of the reasons we don't like going camping is because all the stuff you have to bring and all the setup that you have to do. And you kind of go there and you have to pick a site and then you have to clear the site and you have to do all of this stuff to set up and get ready. And then you finally get in there and it's, it's like a day like today and the tent's too hot and you think, I'll just go to the beach and, you know, cool down or sit under a tree. I suppose that's why glamping has become so popular, because you don't have to have all the right gear, you don't have to do all the setup, you just have to turn up to the location and this great tent 
is already set up for you. It's usually got a nice flat board. It's already set up. All you have to do is just move in. And that's a great image for having a relationship with Jesus. Some people think it's about having all the right things. We've got to fix ourselves up. We've got to behave a certain way. And if we do all of that, God will love us. Rather, actually, it's all done for us by Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. And all we have to do is turn our hearts in the right direction and say, Jesus, we welcome you into our life as our Lord and Saviour. And then Jesus does the rest. It's so amazing at Christmas time to be saying that we welcome a king of grace, a king who is ready to be in relationship with us, even if we haven't fixed ourselves up because of grace. And our Romans reading reminds us that Jesus is actually here for all people, that Jesus is coming not just for one generation, he wasn't just coming for those who met him physically at the time where he gets baptised in the River Jordan, or the, the people that saw him die on the cross. He's coming for all generations. He's coming for all people. And he's going to be a blessing for all nations. Just like it says in our Isaiah reading, in verse 10 it says, And the root of Jesse, so the Messiah, will stand as a banner over all people, over all nations, who will rally to him, and his place will be the rest of gloriousness. Romans reminds us that the story of Jesus is about being a servant to the Jewish people, yes, and it has connections with the Old Testament, yes, and it's foretold in the Old Testament, yes, but that through Jesus, the Gentiles will glorify God as well. And that's us. We're the non-Jewish people that come to put our faith and trust in Jesus and glorify Jesus, glorify God. It's us who are the people who are living out this idea of Paul all these centuries later. That we're the people that continue to bring this good news to another generation. Jesus spoke this to a generation, the early church spoke it to another generation and it went on from generation to generation to generation and it's our task now to keep it going for the next generation. Jesus said he would build our church, build the church and I said on Vision Sunday we need to think that decline is not the only option for the church but we do have to get on with the task of sharing the good news with more people so that this good news will go to another generation. And I want to finish with this idea of a Trinitarian God. Just to put in one more complex theme for you, Peter. I love this verse that uh, finishes the book of Romans, th th this uh, reading from Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the coming of the King is a Trinitarian idea. Who sends the King? Well, it's God the Father that sends the King. So if we think, yes, Jesus is the reason for the season and we talk about Jesus a lot and sometimes it's easier at Christmas just to push forward the idea of Jesus to people who don't know who God is because it's a little bit easier. 
But for those of us who have been walking with God for a long time and those of us who are Christian, let's not miss the idea that this is a Trinitarian concept. Who is the King sent by? Yes, the King is Jesus, but who is He sent by? He's sent by God the Father. God the Father is sending the promised Messiah that will be the banner for all nations to come under and through Jesus the Father will be glorified. That's the glory that it's talked about here, that the glory will go to God the Father through Jesus. But it's also a reminder that Christmas and Advent is a Trinitarian and so the power of the Holy Spirit is available. The power of the Holy Spirit, I love this phrase here in verse 13, it's not just that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us, but the power of the Holy Spirit will be overflowing. It's so important for us to understand that it's not like a little trickle of the Holy Spirit is available to us and somehow we have to cling on to that. But through Jesus and Jesus rising to uh, sit on the throne and sending the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit will be available to us and will be overflowing for us. As we engage in the mission of Jesus to make disciples as we wait for the second coming of Jesus, we have to see that the Holy Spirit is overflowing and the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. We talk a lot about the King at Advent and Christmas, but Advent reminds us of the Trinity, that the Father sends the Son and together they send the Holy Spirit. And it's this Holy Spirit and the Trinity that fills us with the joy and peace that Paul talks about in this verse, that we will be people of hope, people of joy, people of peace at this Easter, Christmas season, because of the way in which it flows out of the Trinity. We often talk about peace, joy and hope at Christmas and we talk about those things because it flows out of the very nature of who God is. And so as we think about these themes of Christmas, as we prepare for the second coming and as we prepare to share the good news of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus with people at this Christmas, let it be that peace, joy and hope that flows out of the very nature of God that fuels us for this mission. So gracious God, we praise and thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that through him we have a right relationship with you and that together you send the Holy Spirit. And it's this overflowing power of the Holy Spirit that fills us with joy, hope and peace. And may that be our testimony this Advent and Christmas season. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.